Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Amen. Speak it over. Wow, I'm excited. That's what a beautiful, beautiful worship song. And it's, a, it's, it's so appropriate because we're going to be in James 3 today. And James 3 is a, is a book where James is teaching the Israelites. Now, I say the Israelites because in the first chapter of James, James is a New Testament book. In the very first part of it, it says the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's speaking to the Israelites, but he's speaking to the church. But we know that we are not Jewish. Maybe you are, but I know I'm not. But God grafted us into his body so that through Jesus we are his children as well. So this word stands true to us. And James, this is the James. James is many times in the scriptures, but this particular James is the half-brother of Jesus. So know that, that Mary and Joseph was James's parents. And James, um, if you know a little bit of the history of James, James really had a hard time believing that his brother was the Messiah. And I can imagine if y'all got siblings growing up, you're like, that ain't my brother or sister. You know, but, so James had a hard time saying, nah, it ain't Jesus. Jesus built stuff in there. He's pretty cool, man, but I can take him. I can beat Jesus up, you know. It's like, that can't be the, the creator of all things. That can't be God. That can't be the Messiah. So at, at first, he had a hard time with that. But eventually... God got hold of James, and James was actually a, a huge advocate for the, the, the church. Even in the book of Acts, James was one of the ones who stood in the behalf of the Gentiles on being grafted into the church because many of the Jewish people had a hard time understanding why these pagan people, why these individuals that weren't them could be, have this right. And James was the one that sat on that council to say, this is from God he came for all people. He came for you. He came for us. So when we know that we're speaking over James 3, we know that this is, when James spoke, he probably got people's attention, okay? All right, before we get started, can we ask the Spirit to speak to our hearts? Let's do that. Let's let God have his way today, amen? amen. Lord, let your word transform us today, God. And Father God, Lord, I come to you humbly and I ask you to fill me so full of your spirit, Lord, that your word would just come out, would transform our hearts, Lord God. And Lord God, I pray, Lord, that as we have young ones in the back and the teachers there, Lord, that you would just speak in and through them, that seeds would be planted in these children, Lord, that your will be done through them. So Father God, we give it over you today in Jesus Christ, and then we pray. Amen. Amen. If someone don't mind, if you can just shut that door just a little bit, I can still hear some of the kids playing in the back, and that'll help us not have the, we love them, but we want to focus. Amen. So let's go right now, and let's read James 3 together. I'll move over if y'all want to follow me. I, I, my head's small, so I have to figure out which way I'm going to move. No laughing. Amen. It's a great day. 
So we're going to read all of chapter 3 of the book of James. Chapter 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could... Control our, if, if we could control our tongues, we could be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We could make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all, tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the, name, in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you, if you are bitterly jealous and there's a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not... God's kingdom kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. James didn't cut words much, did he? You can just about read the book of James and close it walking away kicking a can. Um, and I'll just go ahead and let you know, I imagine everyone in here probably could get a little bit challenged or convicted by that word because it's really easy to talk and to get in conversations and to judge others and all of the things that he's talking about. But just because it's easy to do it does not mean that gives us the right to do it. Amen. As believers of Christ, we can't get comfortable with being like the world. We have to ask God to create in us a new spirit, a new tongue, a new eye, new ears, new hands, new feet, so that we look like foreigners in a world. And that is the thing that challenges us. Because see, in verse 2 again, it says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
when self-control leaves me, nine out of ten times it started with my tongue. When self-control leaves the body of Christ here on earth, the church, more times than not, it was a seed planted by gossip or, or judgment or, or saying something in the wrong heart and the wrong mind. And then we lose control. You know, having control of something, I was driving yesterday in the ice as we were opening up the outreach center, and we were riding over ice. Barbara and I were out around 9 o'clock or 8.45 just because we don't listen very well to the news. And, and so we're riding along, and you're holding the steering wheel, and you're, you're having faith that these tires are going to hold traction to the ice that you're riding over because it's a scary thing to lose control. Amen. It's a scary thing to lose control when you're on a road in a very large vehicle or there's people in front of you or, or pedestrians or another car and you no longer have control. But that's the same way in our lives, right? That's the same way in the church that, that we want to have control. And control is a good thing as long as it's God-ordained and it's God-given. But if we're not careful. We take this man-made control and we start trying to do things our way. And we hold this control and we say, man, I'm good because I'm controlling my environment. And God teaches us through his word that through our trust in Jesus that we can have this God-ordained control that we can let him handle and control everything. So if we desire to change something about ourselves, we have to first do what? We have to evaluate how we are speaking and make adjustments. Without, a, without an honest evaluation, change probably will not happen. Has anybody in here ever had a boss man come up to you and instead of them giving you an evaluation, they give you a paper and ask you to evaluate yourself? <laughs> That's what I said when he handed me the paper too. <laughs> That's not fun, is it? I would much rather Dean or some, Don or some of these guys that I worked for in the past just to sit me down, tell me what I've done wrong, tell me how I could be better, and then let's go forward from there. But as you are growing as a more mature worker in the workforce, then they want you to start taking self-evaluations. They want you to, to start understanding how your actions may be hindering the overall good of the corporation or the company. That's kind of the same way it is in God's kingdom. See, God knows that when we start taking self-evaluations, that change probably will happen. And we have to make honest self-evaluations of where we're at. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 37. Now he's talking to the Sanhedrin. He's talking to the religious people. I mean, he gets a little fired up at them. And, and in the context of it, he's just letting them know that they're unbelief and, and, and they're, they're saying something totally different than what he's teaching. And he kind of lets them know where their hearts is at. But the point of this for me that I'm wanting, God wanting me to let you guys know is that he's talking about spoken words. So listen for that in this. It says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. But you broad of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? 
For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Either free you or lock you up. So we, the church, today, I'm I'm praying, get an opportunity to make a choice. We have an opportunity to make a choice. So we can choose to speak life over ourselves or death. We can choose to speak life over others or death. We have to choose to build on the positives about ourselves. And we have to choose to build on the positives about others. It's so easy for me to have people in my circle of my close and core friends. And I'm always really good at at identifying the negatives in their life. And because I can identify this negative so easily, I then start to tell that person what they are doing wrong. But that's not what Jesus taught. Yes, there's a time to sit down and to teach each other what God's word says. But if I do not believe in someone of ever being better, I can speak death over them. I remember Barbara 15 years ago taught me. She said, I said, Barbara, how do you love me while I'm so messed up? She said, well, if I don't believe in you ever being this, how will you ever be that? Thank God that there's people that understand and have been taught and discipled through the word of God to say, if I don't ever believe in you being greater for God, how will you ever be that? If I continually remind you of your shortcomings, of your flaws, of your inconsistencies, of your sin, guess what will probably happen? You'll live up to that. You'll stay inconsistent. You'll stay sinful and bitter. So we get to make a choice to speak Jesus over our church. I never heard that song before four days ago. Pat's like, you might have listened to this. God knew what he was doing right then. You get to speak Jesus. When you're, when you're loving someone, when you're counseling them, when, when you're working with them and they're on your nerves, when you're in your life groups, when you're in your, your, your neighborhood and things are just driving you crazy because it doesn't line up, you speak Jesus over it. You show love. It's easy to love each other when we're doing right. But God says, I'm going to see how your heart is. I'm going to see how you treat people when they do you wrong. We got to make a choice. So it leads us to this question. How do we choose correctly? Choices are easy. You can make a choice and it can be a bad choice or a good choice or a mediocre choice. But, but we make choices every day. But how do we choose correctly? So we learn to evaluate ourselves daily. And just here's a few things that we can do by evaluating ourselves. 
listen to them. You might want to jot them down or this will be recorded and you can go back if you want to take notes on them. Am I focusing on the godly characteristics in my life or the negative ones? Am I waking up every day and am I focusing all of, on all of my negative characteristics? Or am I focusing on that one godly characteristic that you, God, have put in me? You might have 30 or 40 negative worldly characteristics. But I promise you, if you are a child of God, if you've been adopted into the kingdom by Jesus Christ and the spirit of God is in you, there is a godly characteristic inside of you. And your job is to to find that characteristic and to speak Jesus over it. Let it grow. Let it take and grow so large that it weeds out every one of the kudzu plants, every one of the weeds, every one of the things that your life so looks like now. Let it start from the inside of you where your heart is at and it starts growing inwardly and it will go outwardly so that now, today, you might look like a hot mess, but I promise you through the power of sanctification of Jesus Christ that that one seed can grow up and it can take out every one of the weeds. But you have to water the God seed and stop watering the world seeds. And we water the world seeds with our mouth, the way we speak, the actions that we do, not just with our mouth, with our eyes, with our hands, with our actions, the way we speak. So am I focusing on godly characteristics or negative characteristics? We tend to look like what we focus on. Do I tend to see others in a positive light or a negative light? This is your self-evaluation. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and try to evaluate you. This is where I've just handed you something and I said, hey, great news today at the church. You get to evaluate yourself. So ask yourself, do I tend to have negative thoughts when people are in my life, especially the ones who kind of can get on your nerves a little bit? Is my thought process towards them negative or am I searching for the God part of it? Am I searching for the beauty in that person that's getting on my nerves? And am I ready to speak Jesus over that seed that God has planted in them through the Holy Spirit and to speak Jesus over that? Because people will never be any more than what you believe in them. And if they love you because you've served them, and if they love you because you've accepted them into your church, guess what? Your words has value to them. Negative or positive. And you can destroy a person's spirit by telling them how bad they are. Guess what? They know how bad they are. They get reminded thousands of times a day by Satan. And we, the church, have to stop being Satan. Because it says it in the word that you're filled with demonic spirits if you can't control your tongue. And Jesus didn't come so that his church could be Altered by demonic spirit. When you walk into a room, do you bring light and encouragement into that room? Or do you have a way of sucking the air out of that room? I remember Steve Hogg at First Baptist was preaching one Sunday morning, and Barbara and I, it was something we were watching the service before we go to a service. And Steve Hogg says, I'm good to get along with as long as I get my way. Barbara getting ready, turned around, looked at me. She said, he talking to you? (laughs) Hey, 
But isn't it funny that we can be fun to get along with as, as long as we're getting our way? Can I let you in on a secret that comes right out of Scripture? Jesus didn't come so that you could get your way. He came so that you would die to yourself to live for him so that people who are lost may be found, so that people who are going to hell may be in heaven. You lost your rights when you asked Jesus into your heart. Let me say that again because somebody needs to hear that today. You lost your rights when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I can't help it. I didn't make the rules up. This is what happens when blood was spilled for us. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. When the, when the ultimate sacrifice happened, when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, it is finished, and then we accepted that, we said, yeah, that, you're, you're my Lord and Savior. I surrender. I repent of this world. I want to follow you. You lost all your rights. I lost all my rights. But grace comes in when we want to rebel and we're going to fall short and we're going to want to have our rights. And God is patient, amen. So I want to change. I want to change. God, let this be the day that I could change. Because if we just check a box and we walk out of here and it's like, man, I'm just going to go find somebody I don't like and I'm going to call them and tell them I love them. Did it change your heart? Is it coming from the heart or is it coming from an action? Did you get guilted into calling somebody or was it really God showing you that he loved you and it was your heart melting because of his love for you that let you break into a place where you love the person that's on your nerves or the person that you're not talking with or the person that you, you'd love to be able to tell how they're doing bad? Don't let it be a box that you check. Ask God to form in you a new heart. I want to change. What can I do? Well, it's the art of discipline. The art of discipline. I know y'all hear me talk about discipline all the time. I'm, back when I was skinny and I, was, I, was, I practiced Taekwondo a long time. And I remember there was one part of our, our training for like four, five, or six weeks. All we did was fall down. Every class we'd go in there, all right, we're going to fall down today. For a steady hour, you just fall. I want you to be running fast and fall. I want you to fall backwards. I want you to fall this way. I want somebody to come up and push you down. We fell, we fell, we fell. I was like, hey, Master Pac, why are we falling so much? He's like, because I don't want you to get hurt when you fall. And if you create a discipline in learning how to fall, you won't get hurt. But in discipline, it's, it's a choice. We can't, we got to stop giving Satan credit for our, our mistakes. We are so quick to say, boy, I'm just, devil got hold of me. No, you just made it. You just said something dumb. Jesus holds victory over Satan. But we have to create in us a discipline. So here's some examples of personal discipline. We're going to talk about personal discipline and spiritual discipline. But I first want to talk about personal discipline. The discipline of eating healthy or unhealthy. I know. I ate a Bojangles biscuit this morning. But it's a discipline. There are some individuals in here that ate an apple. I'm just saying. I walk in with my Bojangles on my bread, got me a mint. I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful apple that you're eating. But it was a discipline. Now, if we used to stand that individual up that's eating the apple, apple, and it's like, oh, there's a different. It's not just in your. Well, my family was built like this. Nah, it's a discipline. I like fried food. 
And people who are maybe not quite as wasty as me might not like as much fried It's a discipline. So eating healthy or unhealthy. What we put into our bodies. Drink, smoke, fatty foods. All the things that can go into us. Our disciplines. The Mountain Dew that we drank with our steak biscuit this morning. He's about to, he's about to go into the law and be all messed up. That's what y'all be thinking right now. That's all right. I'm going somewhere. What we put in our minds. When something comes on and it's, and it's not of God. And we're like, oh man, this is starting to ingrain into me. That image can still continue to come up even months later of something that you saw or heard. How we decide to look at a certain subject is a discipline. Oh, there's a lot of, man, the church has a lot of opinions nowadays. You look at something, I'm like, I'm going to get a tape recorder and I'm going to hit this button on my side and like, where's that in Scripture? Where's that in Scripture? Where's that in Scripture? Where's that in Scripture? But it's just a discipline that we want to have an opinion and, and, and we will think about certain subjects. And they probably more times than not, our church is right on the subject. Just is it worthy of trying to argue every day? But it's a discipline, amen? How we speak and act. How we handle or mishandle our given resources. Disciplines. And here's a big discipline. Is that every day, as believers, and I'm speaking to the believers, if you're not a believer in here, you're exempt from this conversation. Okay, just learn and have fun. But if you're a believer, there's a discipline that's not a spiritual discipline. It comes out of us making a choice. It's that every day I get to make the choice of to build somebody up or tear them down. Every day I get to look at my wife and I can say, I can speak life over her or I can speak negative over her. I see every face in here, just about everybody I know, and I can choose to speak life over you, Willie. I can speak death over you. I can choose to speak life over you, Ralph, or I can speak death over you. I can choose to be a builder or a demolition person. And I'm telling you right now, church, Jesus did not call us to be the demolition crew. He called us through the power of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the spirit that lives in us is to be that stronghold to hold someone up as he builds them. Hand up, Peter and John, wrap their arms around the man at the gate, walk him towards the temple till his ankles became strong. We are called to be strongholds when someone is weak. We are called to love and to pray for them and to encourage them through the spirit when someone is hurting. We are not called to take the new Christian that is learning the word that has never been taught the word because the church has fallen short and hadn't taught the word of Jesus to people and to judge them every time they screw up on something because they've never even been taught that. Here's a new thing. If we see somebody's on our nerves, how about we open up the word and teach them through the word? Just an idea. Y'all can tell I didn't get to preach last week, don't you? These are all personal disciplines. 
So how do we make these disciplines line up with God's characteristics? Because that's, again, we can default back to checking a box. But if it's God that's transforming our heart, if it's God that's making us from the inside out, then these, these characteristics could start becoming God's characteristics, and then we can see the kingdom of heaven continue to grow and expand and to look more like heaven. So that's a great question. How do we get it lined up with God's characteristics? Our personal disciplines are developed out of spiritual disciplines. Our personal disciplines are developed out of spiritual disciplines. So this is where the rubber hits the road. Spiritual discipline, number one. This is a great time to take some notes. The number one thing is, in a spiritual, and there's many different spiritual disciplines, but every one that I will read you, and I'll read different ones at the same time, this is God's word, this is what he teaches is that number one is we submit to the authority that has been placed in our life by God. Just a few examples of the authority that's been placed in my life. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an example of God placing authority in my life. That I submit to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God places his word in my life. The the. The unchangeable word of God. To read it, to study it, to meditate on it. The word of God is something that God put in my life as a believer that will create in me godly characteristics. Then there's a third one that I put down is a person that will disciple you. That's one of the biggest holdups that we have in the church today, especially with men. Men don't want other men telling them what to do. They will get mad, they will stomp, kick, bleh, bleh, throw up on you. But Jesus taught through relationships, he discipled men by asking them questions, being patient with them, and directing them back to truth. We have to create a discipline of letting other people in our life struggle with where we are hurting. Let them understand where we're struggling. Because a lot of times I'll get around other men, I want to tell them everything that, that I feel like I'm doing good, but Sometimes I get around men, I don't really want to tell them about where I'm struggling. And that's what we have to understand. Nothing in this world is more valuable than a good mentor or someone who's not afraid to tell you the truth. Because how many tears could have been saved out of our lives if we'd have had that one person to sit us down and say, I just don't think that's from Jesus. We run from those conversations because they are scary. Because we're afraid our friends are going to leave us. But Jesus did not say this was going to be a cakewalk, right? He said that we would die to ourselves every day to live for him. So having a good mentor or someone discipling you is worth the weight and gold. Discipline number two is that we pray and listen daily. That we pray and listen daily. Not just pray, but pray and listen. Ask God to reveal the blind places in your life. Literally do this this week. Get in a quiet place, all distractions away. Let silence hit and say, Father, where are my blind spots? And when those get revealed to you, line them up with the word of God to see if that's truly his voice and not the world or not the 
the demonic spirits that come at you. And if they're from God, write them down. Paul's list of blind spots. And then that way I can start speaking Jesus over those blind spots daily. Guess what will happen? My wife can start speaking Jesus over those blind spots daily. Guess what happened? Those three men on that one row right there, they'll start speaking Jesus over my blind spots. There's guys in here that, that know when I'm struggling at a really high level, and they speak Jesus over my shortcomings. They don't judge me. They don't say, well, if you'd have just stopped and slowed down. They don't look at the back story. They just focus on what's going forward. And sometimes we mess that up with each other as well. Amen. So, listen for his response through the Spirit and also by the ones who are investing into you. That's a great point that we need to learn, that Jesus invested in the men that he walked with. He loved them and he served them. And if there's somebody investing in you and they are being invested in by someone else or by the Word of God, you might want to listen to them. But be very careful because a lot of people have a lot of opinions. And people that do not want anybody invested in them are really quick to have an opinion about how to invest in you. And that can lead you down a path of hurt and pain and destruction. It's a chain that we're walking up this hill and this mountain where we're locking arms and we're carrying each other up this mountain by the power of Jesus. The third thing, third discipline. Meditate over God's word on how you're being led to surrender and grow. Meditate on this, on how you're being led to surrender. Surrender means to let something go, to give over something. But it's not just good enough to give something over. God says, that's just half of the story. Now I want you to take and plant new seeds in this field by the way you speak over it. Yes, you surrendered this. But if you don't put something on this fertile soil right here, guess what will happen? It'll start getting weedy again. Anybody ever plowed up some dirt and never put a crop in it? You're like, ooh, that dirt looks good. You ever walk through that dirt with your bare feet? Kind of, y'all country folk, you know what I'm talking about. You walk through there and that dirt feeling good. Like, oh, this feels so good. Go out there. If you don't plant nothing, go out there in five weeks. You get them little brustly kind of things that you're still like, dang, it doesn't hurt. Weeds jump back up in that fertile soil because you never put a seed in it. You might, you might wipe this soil out. You might surrender it all over. But if you don't put the good seeds in it, you're going to have weeds again. That's why it's so important to do life with each other. Write them down and begin speaking life over these areas. And then thank God throughout the day on how he is transforming your heart. Well, I don't have much to thank God about, Paul. I bet you, if you sit down with someone who is investing in you, they will help you identify things that are good about you. Let me say that again because we definitely need to hear that. I bet you if the person that is picking you up or the person who is taking your phone calls or the person who is loving you and praying for you, if you ask them, I don't feel very good. I don't think I got much good about me. That person sees goodness in you that you can't even see in yourself. 
And they'll start speaking that life and that love over you. And they'll start believing in you when you don't even believe in yourself. And then guess what will happen? One day God will show you what he's called you to do. And you will be doing that to your fullest. And all of hell will be mad because nothing can stop you. Because the spirit of God is moving. And a fire can't be put out that God started up. So remember, success is acquired more times than not through multiple failures and setbacks. Don't get discouraged when you fall. Don't be discouraged when you mess it up. Tiny failures come together to make a large victory. And Jesus Christ covered us in his blood and where sin runs deep, grace runs deeper. And if we will accept and learn and grow from our, from our mistakes, then we will be different. But if we don't learn and grow from our mistake, we're just staying stagnant. Grow from where we fall, where we're falling short. And we do that by having people in our lives that can encourage us through those times. So personal discipline and spiritual discipline go hand in hand. Then we'll wrap it up. Let's go down to James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Sounds like everything we just talked about, don't it? Gentle, peace-loving, willing to yield Look, it's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Isn't that beautiful? I tell y'all, Barbara and I tell y'all the time about Bill and Patsy Drennan, the people who mentor us. I was talking to them this week from Virginia, and Bill's talking about how much snow's on his driveway up in Virginia. And Patsy's like, tell Barbara I love her. You can hear her in the background. They're just so sincere and love us so much. Y'all let us know if you ever need anything with Barbara's medicine or anything. Whatever you need, you, don't, you make sure you pick up that phone and call us. We love y'all so much. You can hear their hearts, the love that they have for us. Pray that every person in this room can experience that kind of agape love and have a family to love them that way. And sometimes there's people in this room that's doing that with each other. But we're hurting so bad at the time we can't even see the blessing that we have beside us because of the darkness that's trying to control us. But that those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So we all have choices to make daily. We can choose to be peace-loving, gentle, and willing to yield to others. We can also be full of mercy, (laughs) good deeds that show no favoritism and be sincere. See, this is the story. Each and every one of us, as we've asked Jesus into our hearts, as we've made that commitment to say, I ask Christ to be my Lord. A new book. You ever seen a book without any writing in it, just blank pages? At the moment that you asked Jesus into your heart, a new book started. And you get to walk along with the Spirit and God writing your story. Now, God's got the overall story. He knows how this story ends. But the one thing 
that we get to play a part in is from the moment we surrendered to the moment we die, we get to fill those pages up with the words. What will they say about us at our funeral? What do people say when they hear the word Dream Center Church? Do they say that is a loving body of believers who will love you while God works on you? Or when they're sitting here and they're doing your eulogy and they're like, man, Paul was a nice person until he didn't get his way. Then he became a jackass. You can delete that one, Garrett, out of the audio if you want to. But I just wanted to be real with us. It's because it's cool when Jesus shows up and people, you don't even have to open your mouth and people say, I want to go and be like her. I want, to, I, want to, I want to know what she knows. I want to know what he knows. And you know why James is teaching on this tongue so much? It's because that's how people that don't know God identify who we are. You say that word out loud, you, just the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you treat others. There's death and life in the, in the power of the tongue. And we have to be very careful on how we speak. So you're writing a book of your life. When you go into those gates, we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are all going to, anybody in here that believes that Jesus is the Lord, we're all going to be in the presence of God one day. But there's just more to it. We just didn't get our fire insurance. We were transformed and made for a work that was better and bigger than us. And that when we get into heaven and we're standing before the throne, they say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into here and here's the crown that is yours. That's not a made-up story. That's in the scripture. We believe that as being true. James 3.18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So brothers and sisters, what type of seeds are you planting? Are you planting seeds that will produce fruit? Or are you planting seeds that will produce weeds? Are you being a light to the areas that you're walking, or are you being darkness? And it's okay if you say, I feel like I'm being more of an, a, an aggravation than light. We all are there sometimes. That's why we're called to do life with one another, that we hold tight to each other. We don't judge one another when we are being that hard-headed person. But what isn't okay is to stay there and get so prideful that you think that nobody can speak into your life that we want to be the kind of seeds that produce a crop. So I guarantee this. You'll reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. And this tongue, ain't nothing in your body that can sow better than that. That is the most powerful tool in you to either sow good or to sow bad. Will you pray with me? 
And, and, and I'm, as we start worshiping, I'm going to go ahead and lay this out. I'm going to lay this communion out. Why are we? We're wanting to create a discipline of communion. We were going to teach on it today, and we still will teach on it here in a few weeks. But this communion is so powerful that I was talking to Barbara and Carlton this morning. One day I was up there tearing that bread up, and I started weeping because that bread is representation of Jesus' body being ripped apart for our sins. And as that juice was put in those cups this morning, it was we were remembering that the blood that Jesus poured out for each and every one of us. It is so powerful of a representation of the sacrifice of Jesus that it teaches in the words in Corinthians, it says, do not take this if you haven't examined your heart. Now let me just teach you. It don't mean that your life got to be all together. It just means that you got to know that it ain't all together. And that you've got to confess with your mouth that you are in need of a Savior and that you do not want to stay the same. And if, and if that's the case and when you're working on something, come to this altar and pray. Let this be a time of revival. That, that The Word says that, it, that if we confess with our mouth that we can be made new. Let this be a time that we remember what happened and we will learn more about that but if you're in a place where you're like I don't really want to forgive that person I really don't want God to work in my life in that I just want to be hard headed it also says in that word that if you take this without the right heart that it can even make you sick that's what the scripture says it says don't take this lightly this is huge thing but this is a beautiful thing also because communion means to get in oneness with God. Jesus was teaching that at the table. You can bring it all to the table. Bring everything you got to the table. You ain't got to be ashamed of anything in here this morning. You have no need to be ashamed of any of your past, present, or future sins because you, my friends, are in a safe place that you can come to the table and Jesus says, come on, bring that mess over here. Set it up on the table. We can all see it. It's okay because that is not who you are any longer. You're my child. You're royalty. Come to the table. And as these songs play, I just, play, I just pray that you'll pray, search your heart, and we'll have a couple people up here just giving you the, the flesh, the bread, and they'll hand it over to you. But let this be a beautiful time of revival and renewedness in you, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit move in here today. God, that we can leave here with freedom that you've already purchased that we can't even embrace because of the hardness of our hearts in some way. Lord God, let us experience the fullness of you, Father. God, Lord, as we remember the beating and the torture and the pain and the agony of a perfect Savior, and his name is Jesus, thousands of animals sacrificed where blood had to be poured out for atonement for people's sin, your children's sin. But one came that says, I will fulfill all of that. I'm enough and Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice. We thank you for the one who made a way that we can have eternity with you, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what this lamb has done. So Lord God, speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
Let us just worship you through communion and the Lord's Supper. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.